Well, Unified Fire Crews are still out here, and you can see why. That smoke behind us is from a hot spot that flared up just in the past 30 minutes. And because of that threat, firefighters will remain out here for several more hours to make sure nothing bigger comes out of that burned building. Now, we want to show you what this fire looked like when it first broke out this evening. This is video sent in to us from viewers who were in the area, and it shows the force of those flames. This was an apartment building that was under construction, and that created some challenges. There are two large construction cranes, so firefighters kept the public a safe distance away just in case they came down. Well, thankfully, they didn't. But because this building was basically nothing more than a wood frame that's been under intense heat from our heat wave over the past few days, Unified Fire says that's why it just grew exponentially so quickly. The fire also caused problems for infrastructure in this neighborhood. Earlier tonight, more than 2,000 customers were without power. But at last check on the Rocky Mountain Power website, that number now down to around 50, and it's expected that they'll have their power restored by 10.30 tonight. Of course, with police and firefighters out here throughout the night and into the morning, they are asking everyone, if you don't need to be down here, please just stay away to give them room to do their work. Reporting live in Mill Creek, John Franke, Fox 13 News, Utah. Hello, I'm Niall Easton, and this is Fully Involved, a Unified Fire podcast. Today's show, we're, we're going to be reviewing a, um, an incident that I think everybody probably will recall, the apartment-slash-structure fire that was in Mill Creek on June 16th. This fire, if... I, I can recall because I left the um, emergency operations center right around 450 and came out and it was just a massive amount of smoke coming up from right down uh, from where we work. And I immediately got on the phone and sure enough, it was one of our fires and it had just gotten going. And so that was around 450. So joining to me today is some of the, the officers that led the charge on that. Uh, starting, of course, we've got Chief Dern, our ops chief. Chief, who, did, who else we got here? Um, I'll let them introduce themselves, but we got Captain off uh, 101. Jubal Perez. And Ken Aldridge. Ken Aldridge. And you were acting BC. Correct. Okay. Yep, battalion 11. And then joining us from South Salt Lake. I'm Lindsay Houck, and I was acting battalion 41. So this is interesting because we had the double actings, and yet you get one of the largest fires really in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so um, to deal with. So let's just jump in. Who was first on scene? I got fingers pointing all over the place. It was a mutual effort, I think. Medic Engine 101 arrived on first. <laughs> okay. Thank so how quickly did you know it was huge? The minute we opened up the station door. Because you could see it right from the see door. It. Yep. So I think going down, I didn't know. Captain Aldridge is right behind me as the battalion chief. So I said, hey, you might want to consider a second alarm. He's like, I see that. Copy. So when you when you arrived, what were some of the first things you were doing to set up? I was just taking orders from the chief, which were? Uh, take a water supply and establish that water supply to the first due ladder company, which was Medic Ladder 106, and try to try to throw water at it. What information did you have as you were getting there that you, so you, you knew what you were going to have to be attacking or defending? What was going on in your mind? We didn't get a bunch of information, I think, from from dispatch details other than lots of callers. And and we saw it from a mile away. So mm -hmm. we were pretty, 
pretty in tune with what we were dealing with. It was nearest a full city block, all gone, four story apartment complex under construction, fully involved. Yeah, that, that building that was on fire, it was what, probably 250 feet wide by maybe 400 feet, 500 feet long. So big footprint, um, pretty decent sized strip mall immediately to the south that was exposures and threatened by the fire pretty quick. So um, Captain Aldridge took command pretty quickly, started getting, getting the command, um, the management system established assigning resources i did a, I arrived pretty quickly as well and did a drive around for him kind of getting getting a view of the the whole situation and brought that information back to him so he could make some good operational decisions based on what he had gotcha and then Lindsay, you guys came on board what were you seeing and thinking as you came up yeah same thing i saw a, a huge header the second i left the station 41 i jumped on the freeway Headed up to, uh, ended up on 13th, um, met up with these guys pretty quickly. He assigned me, uh, exposures and I turned around and looked at the building. I thought, Oh, I don't even know where to start exposures. And then he said, take Delta. So I was able to, I got out of my rig. It was too hot. Closed it right back up. Uh, LDH was already across the road. So I ended up going back to the North, back to the East and then down south and end up on that Delta side, which was the south side of the exposure or, or the incident. I think something to mention is Niall is uh, Battalion 11, when they had command, initially uh, said our strategy is going to be defensive. So we we're going to be at a distance in a safe location, not really um, entering any structures and trying to stay out of the hazard area as much as we can, for sure, the ideal age. But... Uh, after that was established, Captain Perez on 101 was given reports that within that strip mall that had uh, started on fire as well, that there was potentially a victim inside one of the units. So that strategy changed changed pretty quickly. So what happened after that? You get that, that information. What do you guys do? I just told my guys that we had the potential victim in the strip mall, gave them the specific business radio to command that we what we had and that we're going to be going in for a search that way is i didn't know at that time that uh 41 was assigned to our delta it might have been too early um so i was letting captain aldridge know where we were going to be that way is he had an idea so how much were you able to get into that spot the inside was completely clear i think it was just the the roof that was on fire at that time near the i guess it'd be the Delta side or the Bravo side. So that allowed us to gain access and we could see straight through. So it made it the search quite easy. There's only one out of the whole strip mall. There's a pharmacy that had a little fire that had burnt through on the top. And we had our hand line. We were able to put that out as we continued the search through um, those buildings. At one point we backed out because we saw the cranes spinning. I guess uh, Lindsay will talk about that later. That was our are caught off where it's too dangerous. Everyone else is accounted for. We're just out risk versus benefit. And there was reports that she was bound to a wheelchair, limited yeah. mobility. Yep. And so. that was our primary search. And yeah. But turned out was she, not. she was gone. Okay. They already good. got her, which is a good thing. Yeah. But, uh, 
Oh, and it was, it was nice of the citizens to be concerned about her. Mm-hmm. But on, on those one things, like I wish someone knew where she was because we didn't have to be in there. Yeah, that, that actually happens quite a bit. Like somebody knows their neighbor or knows whatever. And we pull up and they say, hey, my neighbors can find a wheelchair and they live there. Yep. And they don't have any idea if they're home or not or in the business or whatever. So obviously we have to act on that to confirm. Mm-hmm. So and that's what happened in this case. Right. But the risk versus benefit was good. I mean, that exposure was not on fire, at least very strongly on fire. So we didn't feel like our lives were threatened. It was just yeah. the upper. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. So we have these, for people that weren't familiar, the 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 structure that was mainly on fire was a new construction unit being built. Um, didn't even have, did it have walls yet? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it had the walls. Um and it had two cranes, two very large, you know, construction cranes um, that were over this whole site. And you mentioned that it was spinning around. Yeah, one of them was the west, the east crane was spinning. So, and I recall we were telling media why we couldn't get in. Were these cranes, and there was some confusion. Why is that a problem? Talk about the risk of having a giant crane overhead, and why that's an issue. Yeah, I guess I'll take that one. Uh, initially, the our concern was was the crane to the west. Uh, it was had direct flame impingement for a, consi- a considerable amount of time. 106 ended up putting some water on it and, and knocking those flames down pretty quickly. But you could see that the tension wire up top was really the only thing that looked like it was holding that boom in place. Uh, once we got that one knocked down and the fire started to run east, and I got over to that delta side, uh, you could see that east crane was moving a lot. And finally, it uh, seemed like it took a little while, but I'm sure it was really quick. The crane owner showed up on scene, and we were able to communicate and, and find out what he needed. Uh, we assigned him to, we had a RIT team in place on the Delta side because we were offensive at some point, or at least uh, you know putting ourselves at, at a little bit greater risk, had the RIT team established, and assigned the, the crane owner to, I think it was 121. Uh, they walked around and assessed the cranes. Um, when he came back, he said he wasn't worried about the direct flame impingement. He wasn't worried about the heat, uh, but he was worried about the erosion that we were causing by the massive amounts of water that we were flowing. His main concern, which which became my main concern, was that east crane. He said two of the four pads were no longer in contact with the ground. Uh, there was about a three-inch gap on the two pads that were facing the, the fire. Um, he said three inches down here isn't that much, but it's over six feet at the top. Yikes. Yeah. So he locked them into place in a position where he felt that if they were to collapse, they would collapse into the fire uh, rather than onto the apparatus, which is what we were really concerned about mm-hmm. initially. So if it would have been windier, what could have happened? Yeah, uh, in talking with with the the operator or the owner of the cranes, um, I said at one point, "Yeah, I'm not a religious person, but uh, but at one point in my career, I was told that God looks out for firemen." And he said, "Absolutely." He said, "Had we had a, a strong wind, it could have been catastrophic." Mm. So that was the risk. That's why we couldn't really get under those things at all. It was just too yeah. risky. What were some of the other challenges you guys ran into? 
temperature. Yeah. It was hot. It's hot. The hot day, hot fire. See how to, I think my risk is swapping out a lot of people. And that's probably chief there in the IC was having someone backing up to let guys have a rehab. So yeah, talk about how you deal with that. You knew it was a hot day, obviously, when you're rolling up. I think it was close to 100 or even a little over 100. Well, typically on a on a first alarm fire, the incident commander will be in charge of rotating crews out and making sure they're getting to to rehab and that those crews are being cycled through and you're monitoring their work cycles. But there were so many units on scene that that, that was just not going to be possible for me to, to track all that and maintain mm-hmm. it. So we checked back with the division commanders that were in charge of their respective people and area and had them manage manage rehab just within their divisions and they they had already started taking care of that and started rotating crews through and making sure their work rest cycles were appropriate did we end up with any any problems any dehydration or exhaustion kind of stuff no no injuries i everybody walked away pretty healthy and we transported one but it was a civilian yeah. yeah, yeah. With these fires, Nile went once. Once the life safety hazard's gone, and it's a defensive fire, it's it's significantly easier to back off and say, okay, this is what it is. The fire's in this footprint. It's not going anywhere. This is going to burn for a long time. We're going to protect what we can around it and just kind of take take it down a notch. That makes Basically. sense. How, how soon in the process after you guys were there were you realizing that's what it's going to be, a defensive type of fire where we're just trying to keep it in its location? I think almost immediately. Mm-hmm. If, if like, like was mentioned previously, if we had high winds that day, we wouldn't have just had problems with the cranes. We'd, we'd had problems with fire extending well beyond that initial footprint. But um, all the smoke was traveling straight up. Everybody could see that we pretty well had it held to the curb. For, for lack of a better, better term, that was going to be where we were going to make our stand and, and going to be operating for the next several hours. Makes sense. Well, so sometimes on the fire of this size, when you have a, a multi-alarm fire, the comms can get a little difficult. Um, how was it on this one? What worked or what were their challenges trying to keep everybody coordinating? There, there were a lot of challenges uh, with communications. Um, we tried pretty early on w- once we went and split into divisions to try to manage those, the size of those groups. Um, not too long after that, we switched to separate tack channels for each division. And that was a challenge. I know for uh, chief Dern and myself to try to manage those tack channels without missing communications from other channels. Yeah. So a good, a good lesson, a good takeaway from, for me was when we assigned a division, um, to have them operate on their own TAC channel. And if they want to interface with command, they need to come back on the command channel. So I'll probably send a division commander with two radios or, or with an aide. Other thoughts, Dusty? Um, I, I think for the size of this fire, it went really, really well. I mean, this was a significant fire for this valley. Uh, for sure, one of the, it probably the biggest structure fire I've been on in my career. Um, but it, it went well. We had probably every agency in the Valley there. I think we worked pretty seamlessly together. Uh, Captain Aldridge is the acting BC set up a good command structure right off the bat and grew that out as it needed to grow to, to 
manage that span of control. And I, yeah, I mean, there's definitely takeaways like the comms piece and how we integrate that in the Valley, because it's easy for us as UFA to say, to go out and say, Hey, this is how we're going to work comms when we have TAC channels now. But the reality is probably 99% of the time when we're doing that South Salt Lake's there and Sandy's there and Salt Lake city. And so for these larger incidents, it's so crucial that as all these agencies, we come together and operate the same because that's when we're all working together. Yeah. So Captain Hawk, you're surrounded now by unified, but tell us how it went working with us. What, what did you see and how, how is that partnership working? Yeah, I think it was awesome. He, he assigned me the Delta division, uh, gave me a tech channel pretty quickly. We did a par check. I, I was running around from, from one side of the, uh, from that Delta side up and up and down mainly because of that crane and wanted to make sure that everybody was on the same page as to where we were going to go. If we started to see it collapsing and kind of our emergency plan. And so I had eyes and I was communicating with all the captains in the rigs, uh, back and forth, back and forth. And that, that's a lesson for me is that I, oftentimes people were like, you know, Delta, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And I was, I was hoofing it back and forth. So I was, I was really mobile, which is good and bad. Um, but as far as communication with command, uh, yeah, I thought it was great. Awesome. We'll take a minute now and let's talk about, um, things that went well, and then we'll talk about some things that could be improved or lessons learned even. So, We've talked a little bit about some. Let's just capsulate, if you will, like each of you go around something that you thought actually went really well on this fire. Um, I'll start, I guess. So our initial assignment from IC was to establish a water supply to 106. So we had a, a hydrant right across the street on Highland Drive. So it was a 50-foot lay into the 106. And as we're taking the hydrant, this guy taps me on the shoulder. He goes, red helmet. <laughs> like, yes. He goes, I work for the water department. This is an eight inch line right here. That hydrant right there by the brickyard is a 12 inch line. You have enough water to s supply out of both of them. Mm. So that was a key vital information I think went well. Cause then I was able to relay that information to the IC. This is what we're doing. And then we're going to take a second line or a second hydrant and drive it up the uh, Miller Avenue for our own. I think that was a good thing of that water department guy having the heads up to know about to the let water. you know yeah. yeah that's huge yeah and that was super valuable we ended up tying in with him uh, a little later in the incident because we were getting reports from one division that we needed to shut down water in somebody else's division because they were stealing water from them and they weren't getting the kind of pressures they needed so we were able to put this individual from the water department with an engine and assign them water supply group and they went around to the divisions and interfaced with them and and made different decisions about where to stretch line <laughs> and and try to grab more water from larger water mains. So that was super, super useful. Yeah. Adding on to that water supply thing. That's, I think the, the benefit of this, of that fire, we had just finished that big water or a class by Captain Norton. I think it was that morning. Mm -hmm. And we had, we're supplying ourselves a two and a half, a deck gun, and then one ten. And I think we only had maybe a total of 1200 GPM out of all three. And then we used that lessons learned and tied in with engine three from the city and they boosted it to us. And then we're over 2000. Oh, wow. So that was just a matter of hours later. We actually used what we learned. So that was another positive. Well, that's great. Other um, stuff. What I'm, do you think? I'm done now. 
I thought I thought comms was after we got the different channels ironed out and the divisions established. I thought comms was really good. We were getting great feedback from our division commanders about what what they had and what they needed and uh, continuing to add resources or don't send us any more. I thought I thought that was really good, especially since we had uh, another acting in battalion chief, Chris Valdez from Salt Lake City. Um, he was running our Bravo division, I believe. And yeah, I like I thought comms and, and the, the integration of the different agencies was excellent. That's great. Captain Howe. Uh, I was really grateful for all the heads that came together to help me out and to support me and to come up with a game plan for that Delta side. Um, obviously I'm new sitting in that battalion, in that battalion role and just acting in and to have Jubal and the captain from 106 and 110 and engine three, uh, to have these guys and, and these gals to, to rely on and to help me, um, come up with a game plan and to have one vision, um, and remind me of things and, you know, to lead me in that, in that way. Uh, I think it was, it was really beneficial for me and I really appreciated that. Oh, that's great. Chief turn. I've got two. Okay. Um, one, I think everybody kind of touched on it, but on these larger instances, when you start to make divisions as the incident commander, you, you set an initial strategy, but it's, a, it's really up to the divisions and the resources working in that area to, to, assess the situation and make things happen. And that happened really well on this fire. The divisions were doing what needed to be done in that area without a bunch of input from, from the IC. The reason you make a division is because you need to get rid of that decision-making for that area. You just can't, you're task saturated. You're, you can't do it. So it, it it's hard when you're the IC, you make these assignments and then they keep calling you back asking yeah. what to do. And it's like, no, you're, you're the division handle it. That's your job now. So that went really well on this incident. And then, um, the strip mall, the, the crew is working there. I mean, this is a huge loss for that company and, and all the owners, but the, the crew saved a ton of property, um, in, in all of those strip malls. So that was a, well, big including win. a wedding dress. I remember seeing the yeah, news story. Lots of wedding dresses, I think. So, yeah. yeah, they saved a lot of property. So that was awesome. That's good. All right. Let's talk then um, either lessons learned. If you, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So throw the hindsight glasses on something you would have done differently or just some of the challenges you had to deal with. Um, yeah, I think I would have got uh, a representative from law enforcement and tied them into my command post. I, I would have done that immediately had I an opportunity to do it over again. Why is that? Uh, we had numerous instances with crowd control issues oh, yeah. and, and uh, we had power company shutting down power lines. We blew a transformer probably 40 feet from our command post and wires were stretched across three different roads. Oh my goodness. And so we had power company representatives hollering at citizens to get out of the way. And it just would have been nice to have that law enforcement uh, piece present. Uh, to rely on as an asset for for command to start yeah. establishing a better perimeter and no go zones for people that didn't need to be where they were. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Other lessons learned? If I was to do it again today, I would have caught the first hydrant and then pulled up past 106 to mill the strip mall, and then pumped into 106. Versus, well, you got to pump or deal with yourself. Here's your water. <laughs> um, I would do that differently. Gotcha. 
Okay. Uh, kind of like I mentioned earlier, I would have had a more formal place for me to be rather than being so mobile. That makes sense. Well, so you don't get many of these, right? So you guys were either fortunate or unfortunate as the case may be to, to be able to jump into a, something like this. Um, just talk in terms of, of, of general, how well did your training apply to what you've, I mean, you go through drills and we train and train and train. How well did that just kick in for something of this magnitude? I think it was there. They can't see or shake your head, guys. Yep, I agree. <laughs> it, it, like we said, it was it was pretty seamless, and to see uh, all the units just show up and and know what their slice of the pie was supposed to be and take care of of their piece of it was excellent. Now you're talking about different entities here. You mentioned something like your to Lindsay that she's playing surrounded by UFA at that point. A good thing to mention is that Lindsay's normally the captain when she's not BCN on forty three. And so her crew and our crew, we train a lot together. We have the breakfast together. So we've developed that relationship and it doesn't seem like a different department to us. They're like part of the crew. Yeah, that's correct. We and, run together a lot. So I think we all do that if we take that time to go to our neighboring stations, no matter what engine yeah. they're driving, it makes it easy. Yeah, it makes it so much easier when our engine runs with your ambulance yep. or vice versa. We know each other's rigs. We've pulled each other's lines. Yep. We've pumped each other's rigs. And it, it paid off huge. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I know our customers are citizens. They don't know where the boundaries are. They don't really care. So working together is just part of being in this valley. Any other thoughts, Dusty? Um, I, I would say to the training and being prepared piece that there's obviously different levels, right? From the command level down to the task level. But I think one thing in this valley that's, that's, becoming better is that we've got a lot of people doing USAR and doing wildland or doing these EMAC deployments and all this stuff's going on and that going out and getting that large incident management experience is going to make these types of incidents here locally run that much smoother because it wasn't that long ago that not very many people had been on a multi-day Right, complex incident, and now we're just getting tons of people with that experience, so they know what it's like to have a division and work under a division, and how the comms are supposed to go. And and it, yeah, it's it's invaluable. Yeah, it's really coming a long way. So valley. when we do have these larger incidents locally, it 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 makes it easy. Perfect. Well, thank you all for coming today. That's going to wrap up the show. Appreciate it. Appreciate everything you did on that fire. It was uh, something to see for sure. For those of us, you could see. I remember. People were saying they could see it all across the entire valley. Um, I remember we also asked for the public to send if they had any video for just for our investigators to kind of get a look at. Gosh, we ended up with several hundred, you know, videos of all that. And I think part of that was the crowd control. I mean, some of these folks were really close. Like you could, I remember hearing them like, oh, my gosh, it's hot because it was it was a huge, huge fire for this valley. So thank you again for coming in, talking about it. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, thanks Niall. Yeah, thanks for having me. For Cam DeVogue, I'm Niall Easton. This has been Fully Involved. Until next time. From the Salt Lake Valley, this has been Fully Involved. Follow Unified Fire on social media and be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Until next time, stay safe and thank you for listening.